The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com liars. The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in things that never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where, as usual, I, yes, your rabbi, reveal how the world really works. Great to be together again, and thank you for being part of the show. Thank you, as always, to those of you who actively help promote it, promote the show. Much appreciated. Uh, President Trump was eviscerated recently, as if that's news, right? Uh, but in the case to which I'm alluding, uh, he was uh, slung into with uh, great venom by the literati and the thought makers and uh, opinion shapers of society. Um, for what? Because he gave a wonderful speech, I thought, for him, a terrific speech in Europe, uh, I think it was in Poland, um, on the uh, idea of Western civilization and the preservation of the West, etc., etc. And uh, it was loathed by the left. And so I thought it would be good to spend a few minutes today uh, talking about Western civilization. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a topic I'm, I'm fond of because I kind of like Western civilization. Having lived uh, within areas governed by many other cultures and having visited uh, still more, I can assure you that the choice uh, to live within a Western civilization society it was not a hard one for me to make at all. And uh, that, of course, is in common with millions and millions of other people who were born uh, or raised outside of a Western civilization society and have since, at, uh, at often at great peril, made their way or tried to make their way uh, to come under the, the roof or the umbrella, as a different metaphor, of Western civilization. So uh, what is it exactly that we're talking about? And, uh, and, and I think it needs a little clarification because I saw a columnist in the New York Times, uh, a guy by the name of Brett Stevens, write something recently uh, sort of decrying Western civilization and, and saying, oh, stop worrying about it. And in any event, you can't, you can't define it that easily because everybody's part of Western civilization. Marx and Lenin and Engels were all part of Western civilization. And I thought to myself, this is truly extraordinary. There was a time when the New York Times really stood for something. <clears throat> there was a time when uh, virtually anybody in the West, if you like, 
um, that was in an influential position either in politics or in business uh, would read the New York Times. I very much doubt that this is still the case. Uh, you know, institutions have a certain momentum, like a rolling locomotive. Uh, you can turn off the power, and the locomotive is still going to run for a few miles down the line, depending on how heavy it is, etc., etc. But, but uh, the idea is there is such a thing as momentum, and a, a large institution like the New York Times um, gains momentum partially from its size, but also mostly from its longevity. Um, the fact that it uh, is doing what it has been doing for over a hundred years, that imparts a certain momentum. So things like that take an awfully long time to die, but dying is certainly what it is doing, I suspect. At any rate, the, the New York Times publishes a piece by uh, Brett Stevens, in which he calmly speaks about all of these things being part of the West. And I thought, okay, fine. So uh, if somebody as uh, highlighted as Brett Stevens thinks that, there must be other people who think that as well. So let's talk for a few minutes about what the West is, what Western civilization is, and, um, and, and what's happening to it. More importantly, what's happening to it right now? Well... Uh, the West, when we think of Western values, we're thinking of a, a society that has replaced uh, bullets with ballots, a society in which violence is seldom seen and when employed is usually employed... When a violence is employed... Uh, it is usually employed by uh, law enforcement against miscreants or by the military against uh, external enemies. But the, uh, the notion that violence is practiced uh, between members of a society is distinctly non-Western. Uh, the, the banker on his way to work in the morning does not swing his briefcase at the locksmith on his way to work and uh, rob him of his tools, right? That you, you know that in a genuine Western civilization, that isn't happening. Uh, something else that is a part of Western civilization is the entire political structure, the stable parliamentary process, the acceptance on the part of a population of the, um, the role of uh, government institutions. Another part of it, obviously, is uh, the relationship between men and women. Uh, the idea that uh, that uh, what what people sometimes today refer to as PDAs, public displays of affection. Yes, that is a part of Western civilization. Sexual restraint is a part of Western civilization. That there is a uh, that there is a sense of what you do do in public and what you don't do in public. Um, making a loud noise in public of any kind. Walking down the street with a radio. Today, everyone uses earphones. But do you remember there was a time people used to carry boomboxes around? That shouldn't and wouldn't happen in Western civilization. You don't impose on your neighbor. Giving people their space. Not coming right up against people. Not uh, th that would be a part of Western civilization. Uh, the uh, idea that uh, women 
are not chattel, that women uh, have a respected place in society, all of that, part of Western civilization. Uh, children not left to, uh, uh, to wander the streets, but children are taken care of. It's a responsibility of parents. Marriage is significant. All of these things, very much a part of Western civilization. Um, that beauty and aesthetic has a role, that buildings are not built in a uh, middle-period communist-style, bleak, gray, and boxy. No, not at all. Um, that art and music have a role. Uh, that religion, the Bible, and God are part of uh, man's relationship uh, with himself and with the world and with God. All of that, yes, all of that, indeed, a part of Western civilization. The study of history the development of an economy, the building up of reliable currency and money, all of these things very much a part of Western civilization. So, uh, again, I could do an entire show on going in depth into what are the characteristics of Western civilization, but I don't want to waste any of your time, and uh, you, you know it as well as I do. You can, or at least uh, I think you can say, I think it was Justice one of the justices on the Supreme Court said, uh, I may not know what it is, speaking of pornography, but I can recognize it when I see it. Well, I think we can all tell the difference uh, between um, uh, Boston and Bombay. Uh, I think we can all tell the difference between Bangkok and Birmingham. Uh, and that's today, even after the essence of Western civilization has triumphed in all of these places as well. And so uh, there they are. Now, uh, what is the, um, uh, the, the story of Western civilization? Why don't I tell you about that just as soon as we come back in a moment? But first of all, as usual, uh, we go to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin website. That's at rabbidaniellappin.com. And um, I uh, urge you to take a look at the the resource, which probably more than uh, most of the things that we have uh, directly pertains to this question of Western civilization and its enemies. And it's an audio CD program, two hours with a study guide called uh, um, The Gathering Storm, Decoding the Secrets of Noah. And uh, this isn't so much as a Bible lesson as it is showing that those chapters that we assume are nothing other than a, a childish depiction of a man saving the animals from a big rainstorm uh, is actually a far more accurate depiction of the collapse of civilization and how it's possible to, to build your ark, as it were. Uh, sometimes all you can do when things go bad is to save yourself and your family. Uh, it's called The Gathering Storm, and read about it at rabbidaniellappin.com. I am he, your rabbi, and uh, with my deepest appreciation for you being part of this show, I'm going to take a quick break, and then I'll be right back. Spilling ancient solutions for modern problems in the areas of family, faith, friendship, and finance. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. 
40 acres and a fool. With Cam Edwards. The mushrooms don't really store well, so it was a matter of, okay, we got to cook some of these. Yep. And then you did, so you dried? I dehydrated three pounds of the portobello, sliced portobello mushrooms in my handy-dandy little dehydrator. And boy, those three pounds, like, translated into just a couple of, like, freeze-dried baggies. 40 Acres and a Fool. On demand. Download episodes at theblaze.com slash radio. SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Welcome back to the Blaze Radio Network On Demand with Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Hi, everybody, and we're back. Your rabbi, that's me, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, continuing as we discuss what has happened to Western civilization. But before we can talk about what's happened to Western civilization, let's just finish our discussion of what it is. And I was talking about that in the last segment. And uh, I'll just add a couple of things. I'm sure you've thought of things yourself that I omitted uh, during that first segment. For instance, in uh, society of Western civilization, there is economic aspiration and there is building things and there is doing transactions. Um, now, here's where it gets really interesting. It is, um, it is a shocking but true fact that over 90% of all the advances in science, technology, medicine, the last thousand years, actually up till World War I, where things began to change, and I'll tell you about that. But uh, up till uh, World War I, for a thousand years, over 90% of all scientific discovery took place in Western civilization. That is correct. Uh, did the Arabs really invent algebra? Uh, I'm afraid not. They did effectively publicize it, and uh, that is not surprising since they, at that point, were running a, a goodly part of the world. But uh, came up with it? No, that simply isn't correct. And if it was correct, uh, you'd have expected that uh, inherent... Um, mathematical ability would have continued turning out remarkable and uh, innovative developments in mathematics. Unfortunately, that did not happen. Uh, was there Arab literature and writing? Look, I'm not, this isn't to knock uh, Arab cultural development. Uh, all I will say is that to whatever extent there actually was uh, innovation and discovery, particularly in the areas of, of literature, uh, that did come out of the Arab world, they didn't come out of Islam. And the reason I say that is because they all came out of the edges of the Arab world where it was rubbing up against, <laughs> you got it, Western civilization. Uh, it did not come, you did not find universities, you did not find output of thinking, you did not find uh, a discovery of any kind going on in Mecca or Medina or anywhere on the Arabian Peninsula. But it was happening way west in um, uh, the the Maghreb, which in uh, Arabic means the west, uh, over North Africa all the way to Tunisia, Morocco, which was then, um, as it is now, under Arab control. And then, of course, across the Straits of Gibraltar during the time when the Iberian Peninsula was under Arab control. But it was rubbing up against Christianity at that point. It was from largely these areas that, uh, that thinking was coming. But at any rate, the point uh, I want to make is that, you know, whatever you look at, whether you want to look at hovercrafts or jet planes, whether you, whether you want to look at 
uh, early understanding of the circulatory system, the idea of germs and how one can pre pre prevent infection, uh, whether you want to look at the periodic table, whether you want to, to look at developments in biology or anywhere else at all, your answer is always the same. Yes, Western civilization, that is where it's all happening. And so uh, uh, the um, another thing is, of course, the, the development not only of science, but also of, um, uh, of uh, uh, economic activity, as I said. It's, again, a remarkable fact that no capital market has ever emerged indigenously in a non-Western country or in a non-Western culture. And so, yes, uh, of course, there are stock markets today in Ghana and in, uh, in Bangladesh and you know, in virtually every other country in the world. But when they, they're all replicas of the stock markets that originally uh, were created in London and Amsterdam. And so, uh, yes, I am sending medals to Western civilization because I am not alone in believing that I would much rather live under Western civilization than under any of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other cultures uh, that infest some of the darker and less pleasant corners of the world. Now, uh, let me just make clear that the attacks that were launched against Donald Trump for his uh, excellent speech defending Western civilization, uh, those, those attacks are, are not rare, they're not unique, because there, there would be many people, if, if this podcast were being played on almost any campus, most campuses in the United States, and uh, it, it was being played to an audience of not only students, but also their teachers, the people who, to a large extent, much of your tax money goes to paying exorbitant salaries for minimal work, uh, yes, they would all be... Uh, applauding with great enthusiasm uh, every time I said that the West is in decline. They want to see the West in decline. They very much want to see that. They equate Western civilization with uh, colonialism, which is terrible. Is colonialism always terrible? Well, apparently not to everybody, because the last time I was in Kenya a few years ago, uh, I uh, gave a speech to a number of people who were uh, all businessmen in Kenya, and among them were a number of older guys who, who, who sort of still remember or, or at least knew from their parents uh, what things were like under British rule in Kenya. And, uh, and they will tell you that there were aspects to it that they greatly miss. Uh, Kenyan civilization brought a decline in the operability of Kenyan society. Uh, to put it the way they did, the post office worked, the hospitals were available, the medical system, the railways, all of these things worked when the British were running Kenya. They don't work now. So, uh, you know, it's people with political aspirations. Yeah, sure. Uh, they'd rather be leaders than followers and uh, enjoy all the perks that come along with political leadership today. Uh, but the ordinary folks, many of the ordinary people who are just trying to make a living and take care of their families and improve their own standards of living, uh, for them, this was not a huge bonanza 
Were there negative aspects? Yes, there were, particularly of French, Belgium, and German colonialism in Africa. To a large extent, uh, British colonialism was benign. Now, I realize that, uh, that, that saying these things in the wrong audience would uh, probably uh, risk me to put me at risk of severe bodily injury. But uh, uh, here we are. I am... Um, I'm not even actually in my home studio. I'm I'm on the road, which is why you might be able to hear a slight difference in quality of sound of uh, of the show. But at any rate, I hope you'd rather have this than uh, nothing at all. And I know I would certainly much rather have the chance of sharing with you than to to miss the opportunity altogether. So uh, these are some of the aspects of Western civilization. Uh, largely, the good out ranks the bad considerably, uh, overwhelmingly. And the proof of that, once again, is that um, I had my, I was given some assistance with my luggage at an airport last night uh, by a gentleman, funnily enough, from Kenya. And he uh, was in, was in no, uh, he was in no way reticent about sharing with me how thrilled he was to be in the United States of America rather than in the uh, ex-colonial liberated uh, country of Kenya. All right, so uh, there we've got Western civilization, and it pretty much is running the world uh, up till, shall we say, up till uh, close to the second, uh, up to close to the First World War. Into the early 1900s, we're looking at Western civilization pretty much in control of the majority, the overwhelming majority of all the natural wealth, all the, the, the land. It's, it's really rather remarkable in effective political control of more territory than any other society has ever held in history. Um, large parts of Africa, Nigeria, Ghana, uh, Kenya, South Africa, uh, Suez, the whole area around Suez was uh, British and French controlled. Um, the uh, obviously North America, United States and Canada, Australia, New Zealand, uh, India. Uh, it it was huge. Okay, and that was that was just the British Empire. Take a look at what the French controlled, what the Germans controlled, what the Belgians controlled, and you really do see uh, a huge part of the Earth's surface controlled, indeed, by Western civilization. Um, what happens then? Well, that's the part I uh, am eager to get to. Our website, rabbidaniellappin.com, and the, uh, the, uh, the, the product that pertains, I think, most directly to the topic for today is um, the gathering storm, decoding the secrets of Noah. Uh, would you be interested in finding out how abortion ties into the collapse of a civilization? Would you be interested in seeing how every time a baby is destroyed, that is not only a tragedy on a moral level, but it's actually a tragedy on a political level. You could have no moral qualms about abortion. You could be absolutely fine with snuffing out a baby's life. You could do that. Uh, and you could have that position. And nonetheless, if you like your lifestyle, if you like the economic vitality of the West to the extent that it still exists, if you like 
being able to live in a society that is on the upswing rather than the downswing, then you should be mourning every single abortion. You want to understand more about that? You would like to listen to uh, The Gathering Storm, Decoding the Secrets of Noah. Take a look at it at rabbidaniellappin.com. You can read more about it, and uh, you'll be able to make up your mind. It is on a terrific price because we really do want to spread the word. We really want to get this uh, audio program out. It's a two-hour audio program with a study guide. And uh, when you get it, um, how do I feel about you sharing it? Uh, letting other people hear it instead of making them buy their own. We're delighted. Please um, buy it and share it. Let other people hear it. Uh, help it. Get that word around so everybody really does understand uh, what is going on. And it's not just uh, abortion, but many people have the tendency of thinking that so-called social values like abortion, like homosexual marriage, like uh, uh, many of the you know deterioration of the culture, the vulgar vulgarization of the culture. Many people think that oh these things don't really matter. We only really worry about the economic and the military aspects of survival. You would be shocked to discover how quickly an erosion of the so-called social values utterly undermines the ability of a society to function both economically and militarily. But uh, I'll tell you more about it at coming right back. I am your rabbi. There's still more to come from Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something, and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. We now return with Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. On we go with a discussion of really how much better it is to live in a society on the ascent. How much better it is to live in a country uh, whose economy is growing, an economy whose military strength is growing. Uh, how much better it is to live in a society of optimism and hope, an op uh, a society in which each day uh, promises to be better than the day before. All of these are the kind of things that are the natural legacy of those that lived in the best days of Western civilization, those that lived in the, the best days of the United States. Now, uh, best days of the United States, uh, I'm going to say up, and you know, if you're a regular listener, you know that I uh, defy the odds and attempt the impossible uh, by trying to put an approximate date on an epochal change. You cannot really do that. Uh, these, these changes uh, cannot be pinpointed to an hour of a day, of a week, of a month, of a year on a calendar. Uh, because they are incremental and they're sweeping over a long period of time. But nonetheless, uh, I usually say until the early 60s. Now, one of the uh, tremendous tragedies of political discourse in America today is that the uh, retort 
to almost anything is, well, you're a racist. And I'm afraid I, I have to tackle this just a little bit because, uh, needless to say, the, the president was accused, oh, he's a racist by, uh, by his speech in Poland lauding Western civilization. So if you think well of the West, you're a racist. And indeed, I, I, it's my belief that a, a good deal of what made up uh, former President Obama was not Islamic thinking. No, I, I don't for a moment think he subscribed to Islam. Uh, look, subscribing to Islam seriously is a serious commitment. Uh, it means, you know, it means praying. A, a serious Muslim prays, you know, a good few times a day, maybe five times if he's serious. Uh, I, I don't think Obama prayed at all. I don't think he was a religious, I don't think he is a religious person. Just my view, right? I don't know it. But what I do know motivated him, the ideological forces that kept his inner fires burning uh, was anti-Western. I mean, that, that was the essence of, of what drove him. And uh, the the books, he, his books, which I don't believe for a moment that he wrote himself, uh, I think make the point very, very clearly. I don't think he's in the least bit shy in his books, particularly Dreams from My Father. Uh, by the way, his father was a, a notorious and uh, angry anti-Westerner, hated Great Britain. And uh, yes, it is true, Obama did, as one of his first actions on moving into the White House, send the bust of Winston Churchill, uh, who he loathes, right? And indeed, um, I, I do suspect that one of the reasons, and again, it's my opinion, one of the reasons that uh, Churchill was utterly omitted uh, from a, a recent film, which I think is, is going to do very, very well, called Dunkirk, uh, you don't see Churchill at all in that movie. Now, how, how not to see Winston Churchill in a movie about Dunkirk just doesn't make any sense. Uh, you hear his words in, in the mouth of somebody else and uh, not even ascribe, not even the, this is what Mr. Churchill said in his speech. No, nothing like that at all. Uh, this is, uh, it, it's unbelievable. And I believe that the only reason that Churchill was omitted from the, the movie Dunkirk is because he is currently going through a phase of uh, unpopularity. <laughs> Why? Because Churchill was a proud drumbeater for Western civilization. Uh, Churchill loved the English-speaking peoples. Churchill believed that the English-speaking peoples brought enormous value to the world. Churchill believed that, yes, there was something different about England, South Africa, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the United States. He did think that there was something extraordinary about the cultures that grew out of the English language. Perhaps it was the legacy of that amazing day in, that two, in, in, uh, in 1215, 802 years ago, uh, when King John uh, signed the Magna Carta, this, this charter between uh, King John and the people of England, uh, limiting what had up till then been the almost limitless powers of the monarchy. Uh, perhaps that idea that humans have freedom, 
and that government operates with the consent of the governed. These are parts of Western civilization. These are things that Winston Churchill loved. He loved the English language, and he, uh, he, he loved writing and speaking, and he did both those things very effectively in the English language. And Churchill is in bad uh, view today because, I think, the, the whole mood is very anti the West. The, the cultural mood is uh, hostile to the English-speaking peoples. And, of course, the, the language that is used to, to launch this attack is invariably the language, oh, you are a racist, or that is racism. And uh, I, I think, folks, I really do think the only way for uh, the, 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 the level of political discourse to be returned to, to where it originally was, I really think the only way to do that is to just ignore it. You know, you, 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 that's racist. You know, I'm sorry you think so. You're a racist. That is an unprovable um, postulate. You, you simply cannot prove that. You don't know what's in my head. And by the way, I do have freedom of thought. Uh, and that, by the way, is exactly the problem with insults uh, like racism and anti-Semites. For a lot of years already, I have been criticizing the Jewish establishment, uh, my own brethren, for being so quick to employ the slur anti-Semite. I really, really uh, don't like it. I believe it is a mistake, and I believe it is fundamentally dishonest. And the reason I say that is because you simply uh, cannot indict somebody for his thoughts. If that were true, I think almost every man in this country would be in jail for sexual harassment. No, you cannot indict people for what is in their minds. You simply cannot. And uh, all we can do is indict people for their actions. And if we're going to speak about anti-Semitism, there are, uh, there are uh, already perfectly good laws in place prohibiting acts of violence against people of Jewish ancestry and acts of vandalism against their property. Right? Those laws exist. So what more do you want? What else is there? People shouldn't be allowed to think certain things. Okay, fine. So people shouldn't be allowed to say certain things. Is that is that what it is? Why not? What happened to freedom of speech? If we cannot revive the doctrine of freedom of speech in the United States of America, which is at enormous risk, and many of you uh, know because I actually had on the podcast uh, not that long ago an incident where I spoke at a Northern California university and uh, was absolutely disrupted oh it was it, it was it was quite a shocking experience to tell you the truth and uh, freedom of speech no i don't think so that i'm afraid is already long gone but if if we're not able to resume free speech it's a real problem and so i must tell you i i revile the use of anti-semite as a slur against anybody um anti-Jewish behavior, as we see on the part of Muslims in France and much of Europe constantly, it is an embarrassment. Um, it, is, it points to French impotence 
and the imminent loss of everything that has represented French culture. Sweden and Norway uh, used to be countries of incredible Western refinement. Moral cowardice has utterly eroded the quality of life. Uh, Germany, and, I, and, and you all know that this has been caused by the vast influx of uh, Muslim immigrants who have absolutely no intention of adapting uh, to their host culture. But a considerable blame has to be placed upon those host cultures who are not requiring any form of compliance with laws, norms, and customs of those countries. Uh, the same, I believe, to be true with the term racist. I'm sorry, but you cannot regulate what is in people's minds or hearts. Uh, you simply cannot, and you should not try to do that. Now, uh, if we are prevented from speaking about the disproportionate amount of crime committed by black males, if we're not allowed to comment on that, if we're not allowed to talk about that, if the criminal justice system is not allowed to scratch his head and figure out what's going on, if black leadership itself, to the extent that such a thing exists, and I'm not sure that it does, I know there's no such thing as Jewish leadership. There really isn't, by the way. Uh, the notion that there's any one person who speaks for the Jews of the American, uh, of, of the United States of America is laughable. Uh, as I've often said before, if you gathered all three to four million Jews in America into one large auditorium and try to get them all to agree on any single hypothesis, uh, perhaps the absolute only one you might be able to get them all to agree on is that Adolf Hitler was a bad man. But other than that, no, uh, there isn't such a thing. I, I find, I, I'm guessing that there probably is... Uh, uh, similar diversity of view and outlook among people with black skin in America as among people of Jewish ancestry. And uh, I don't know that there is anything called black leadership. I think there are many, many people who want to be seen as king of the blacks, and uh, there are many people who want to be seen as king of the Jews. I'm not aware of any such person at all. So uh, as long as people cannot discuss certain uh, cultural problems within black population. If we can't talk about the fact that marriage is in terrible decline in, in, a, in the country as a whole, but to a far greater extent in, uh, among American people with black skin, that's a problem, okay? And it's a problem not because of the skin color, it's a problem because of government policies. Since when? Oh, early 60s, approximately. Does that mean that I am hostile to civil rights? Don't be stupid. Does that mean that, uh, oh, I want to go back to the bad old days of slavery? Oh, don't be a moron. I mean, you know, this, this is the level of the retort that one gets when discussing any of these topics that have now been made. Oh, politically incorrect or sensitive and so on. Uh, if we're going to be prohibited from honest and rational analysis and observation by the strident cries of, oh, racist, uh, then I think we really are doomed. And so um, I, I, I must tell you, I think the only answer is for, for people to not cower 
like timid gazelles every time somebody shouts racist. Um, it's got to stop. Uh, the the idea that um, that racism is anything other than actions, and even there, once again, we have laws that prohibit uh, bad behavior towards anybody of any skin color. But the idea that there are that there is endemic racism in society, and that all white people are privileged, and all white people have to be penalized. Come on, you know, that's um, completely, absolutely ridiculous. All right, uh, where did Western civilization begin, and uh, where is it headed? Or perhaps in the other way around, where is it headed, and where did it start? And then, where is it headed? Uh, we'll do that coming right back. The website, rabbidaniellappin.com. And on sale, special price, yes, for listeners to this show. Special price right now. Not It's not going to last uh, beyond next week's show. So uh, it's for you right now at rabbidaniellappin.com. Special price on an audio CD. It's uh, You can get it in instant download. You can just download it right after the show. Or you can... Uh, uh, you can have the CDs come to you in the mail. Uh, two hours of instruction plus uh, a study guide. Uh, it's called The Gathering Storm. Don't you feel that we are right now experiencing, we're in the days of a gathering storm? Don't you feel that? Uh, well, if you want to know how the decline of a civilization can take place and how rapidly it can happen and where the blueprint of this is found in the origin of Western civilization. Yes, that's right, the scripture. Uh, all of that is in this uh, book or in this uh, audio program called The Gathering Storm, Decoding the Secrets of Noah. Head over to the website, rabbidaniellappin.com. Thanks so much. Be with you back here in just one moment. The Blaze On Demand. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards. The mushrooms don't really store well, so it was a, a matter time. of, okay, we got to cook some of these. Yep. And then you did, so you dried? I dehydrated three pounds of the portobello, sliced portobello mushrooms in my handy-dandy little dehydrator. And boy, those three pounds, like, translated into just a couple of, like, freeze-dried baggies. 40 Acres and a Fool. On demand. Download episodes at theblaze.com slash radio. SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Rabbi Daniel Lappin returns with more of how the world really works on the blaze radio network on demand hi everybody and we're back the rabbi daniel lappin show thank you very much indeed for being part of the show and by the way thank you all for your comments uh, thank you when you uh, you write to me at our website rabbidaniellappin.com love receiving that read everything and as many of you have discovered i actually respond to a decent number of them okay uh, do you remember those flip books you had when you were a kid um, usually a sort of fat book with stick pictures or any kind of pictures inside. And as you riffled the pages, you flipped them with your thumb across the edge of the pages, uh, it sort of made a movie. And, uh, you know, really, it was my, as a child, it was my first insight into how movies were made. I, I was, I, I remember the sort of tremendous uh, moment of realization when I said, oh, I get it. I get it somehow or another. Uh, my eye translates each separate picture being just a little bit different from the one before it. If it follows quickly and the picture and the images are in the same place, I see it as movement. It's so cool. 
Okay, what I want you to do is imagine doing that with a map. All right, imagine that the each page of, of this little flip book, it's not really called a flip book, I'm not sure what it's called, but uh, imagine that each page of it is an atlas, a map of the world, and let's, uh, let's paint, let's color the portions under Western control, all right, parts of Western civilization, let's color them um, a, a special color, you know, let's, let's make that, uh, shall we say, green. And then all the other various cultures uh, at the periphery of Western civilization can be whatever other colors you want. And so um, uh, we'll, you know, we'll start it off in the, the early years after the time of Jesus. So, you know, 100, 200, 300, 400. And you watch uh, Rome growing and uh, the influence of Rome spreading into uh, other societies around there. And uh, and you keep watching, and and the the centuries go by, and then you know uh, you, you will notice that in uh, 700, 800, 900, you've got Islam um, spreading from uh, Saudi Arabia westwards and northwards and and eastwards, uh, but. By that time already, Western civilization is is all of France, is uh, all of Spain, Western, which it's going to lose to Islam at at, uh, at a certain point, right there. But um, and then you know time goes by and we find uh, Western civilization spreading through much of Africa. We see Western civilization spreading across the seas to uh, uh, to. North America, we see Western civilization spreading um, through through Russia. It spreads through the Baltic states. It spreads to um, you know the time of the the Vikings yields to Western civilization in Scandinavian countries, all the way to uh, to e to, uh, to to the east to India, and Portugal is now is is developing colonies and and you watch as you reach as you flip through this. You just see this green swath uh, of much of the world's surface. Oh, and of course, by then, Islam has contracted and it's gone largely, uh, shrunk dramatically back. But, but Western civilization just continues growing and spreading until, and then we hit round about, as I say, round about uh, the early 20th century, the early 1900s. And now, all of a sudden, it starts uh, shrinking. The loss of Russia to the Bolsheviks is is one of the biggest. And then when uh, after World War II, Russia takes so much, you know, Hungary, right, used to be an outpost, Poland, the Baltic states, these were Western outposts, now all fall under the Soviet bloc and they become not only non-Western, no no freedom, uh, no rule of, I mean, it's it's all gone. No uh, no private enterprise, no economy, It's it's all vanishing. Uh, right there, and we notice in the night we get up to the 1950s and 1960s, and all of the uh, former uh, African colonies start kicking the West out. Um, China, by about uh, by about 49.50, or even actually a bit earlier, China is getting rid of all Western strongholds in uh, in in China. Uh, Hong Kong, of course, goes a lot. Uh, a lot later than that. By the way, uh, is China part of the West? No, it could be, and it may well be, but that's a different discussion. But right now, it most certainly is not. 
and uh, uh, so uh, on it goes and we we flip through and we we notice it's shrinking 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 uh, the contraction is absolutely unmistakable and uh, and here's another interesting little sign of it that that struck me at the time it was quite fascinating but it was also around about uh, i'm going to say about the 70s or 80s that in most former colonies in africa uh, up till that point they all all the statesmen and all the leaders and all the business all of these people in these countries used to wear western garb by the way same was true as much of much of the arab world um, you know, the Arab world was, to a large extent, controlled by the West. You might say, well, it was controlled by Western oil companies. It doesn't matter. Uh, effective political and economic control of real estate is what matters. It's as simple as that. And uh, all of everybody used to wear Western gear, Western outfits. So whether it was United Nations, whether it was um, political meetings, business meetings, everybody used to wear suits and ties if they were men and uh, Western outfits if they were women. And then all of a sudden that began changing. And, and that's relatively recently, by the way. Now we take it for granted that African leaders show up in tribal outfits. Okay? We take it for granted today that Arab leaders show up in flowing robes. But it didn't always used to be that way. They felt proud to be part of the West. They wanted to identify as part of the West, and they did. But all of that today is gone. And so I just want to um, point out, and, and this podcast is, is too short and limited in scope to discuss uh, the reasons or what's causing it. All we really want to just look at for the moment is the fact that it really has happened. And the part of the Earth's surface under, if you like, effective political and economic control of Western interests has shrunk and shrunk and shrunk. It's today, uh, it, it's very, very small compared to what it once was. And is the shrinkage continuing? Um, I think it is. I think it is. Uh, I haven't been in South Africa recently. I, I left the country many many years ago i was i was pretty much a kid and uh, i've not been back ever although i'd like to so uh, uh, but what people tell me who, who come back from visiting south africa is that under president zuma it is really questionable how much longer south africa is going to regard itself as western country many people say it's already stopped doing that siding in almost uh, every uh, political issue that crops up on the international arena siding with the bad guys with the anti-west and uh, if you've ever wanted to understand the bizarre alliance between american liberals the liberal left and islam right what's that all about mutual hatred of western civilization uh, you know, one of the uh, many, many reasons I regard Sigmund Freud as a fraud and a hoaxer, uh, that whole area of uh, Freudian psychiatry, uh, and again, off, off topics, I'm not going to spend time on that, but one of the many reasons that I think he is one of the most overrated hoaxers and fraudulent con men in history um, is because one of his statements, one of the things he wrote and said more than once, we're talking of as late as 1938, Sigmund Freud, nominally a Jew, but a hater of the Jewish faith, uh, said, I 
uh, fear the Catholics more than I do the Nazis. How often have I heard Jews in America saying, I fear the Christian right more than I do Muslims? <laughs> okay. okay, this this is a uh, particular example of distorted and muddled thinking, which has all the consistency of overcooked spaghetti. Uh, sad, but yes, this is very much a part of of what's going on. The truth is, uh, the the shrinkage of Western uh, civilization is a tragedy for humanity. Nothing more and nothing less than a tragedy for humanity. Where did it all begin? Where did the, the West start? Well, uh, a good place to look at is uh, the Arch of Titus in Rome. Now, the Arch of Titus in Rome uh, is an amazing piece of architecture. You stand in awe of this thing. It's a magnificent building. Uh, let me tell you something. Uh, there were no buildings like that in Zimbabwe. There were no, and we're talking, the Arch of Titus was built around about 100 AD. So it's nearly 2,000 years old. 300 years ago, there were no buildings like the Arch of Titus in Bangladesh. There were no arches like that in the Sudan. There were no, look, I'm sorry, but that's an example of Western architecture. And the Soviet style of building, uh, dull, gray, bland, blocks. That's not Western architecture at all. The grand cathedrals and churches of Europe, right, none of which have been built in the last 500 years, uh, those are examples of Western architecture. The Arch of Titus depicts um, the defeat of Jerusalem and uh, the capture, the destruction of Israel and the capture of huge numbers of Jewish uh, slaves who were brought back to be enslaved in Rome. Uh, most scholars estimate that Jews comprised as high as 10% of Rome's population in those years of the first few hundred years AD. Now, just to put everything into perspective, the percentage of Jews in America is about one and a half percent max, one and a half percent maximum. And look how influential, look what a role Jews play in the culture in America, for good or bad, by the way. I'm not talking about that for the moment. But uh, just imagine the influence that Jewish thought, Jewish ideas, Jewish custom had on Rome when up to 10 percent of them, by the way, and they didn't stay slaves, many of them became active and involved in 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 uh, affairs mostly business affairs but through that they became influential it's not a surprise that really did shape uh, the way rome then developed and how so-called roman ideas began to expand that is a very important uh, set of thoughts to bear in mind it's a lot to swallow I mean, am I actually saying that uh, Western civilization sprang from the slaves that were carried off to Rome, depicted on the Arch of Titus, and that that's what shaped the nature of uh, Western civilization? Well, look, uh, ask yourself what has caused the uh, contraction of the West. As you flip through your imaginary little book and you watch the colored green of Western civilization shrink, 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 
uh, until it's at its smallest point as it is now. Uh, and you say, so what caused that? Was it outside military force? Not in one single case. Was it outside force of any kind? No, no at all. Uh, my dear friends, what is causing the collapse of the West in Germany, in Scandinavia, in, Fr in Sweden and Norway, and indeed even in the United States of America, in South Africa, is nothing other than a spiritual surrender. That's what it is. A spiritual surrender of what? Of the values that have always made the West what it is. And those values spring from, yes, you got it, the pages of the Bible. And those ideas were carried from Jerusalem into the heart of what became the seed of Western civilization, Rome. That's as far as we're going to go on this. But uh, as you can imagine, I am uh, extremely engaged in this topic. And uh, if there is a positive response, I will speak about it more. If, on the other hand, I've been boring you silly, and in fact, you, you may have turned off um, halfway through and said, ah, this isn't for me, then I'd like to know that as well. And I, I will then uh, abandon this line of discussion in future podcasts. But anyways, I've overstayed my welcome, which means that uh, I remind you, take a look at um, uh, the uh, audio product on sale called um, the, uh, uh, the Gathering Storm, Decoding the Secrets of Noah. And what I do there is I look at very specific sections of the chapters in Genesis dealing with Noah and his ark, and I, I pull out the, uh, the amazing insights and secrets from ancient Jewish wisdom embedded in the Hebrew text, and uh, how they shed light on current events is what I'm particularly focused on. It's called The Gathering Storm, special price for you. Go to rabbidaniellappin.com, please, and uh, read more about it. I think you'll see this is something that you and your circle, family and friends, uh, would find, would extract real value and derive benefit from exploring. Looking forward to hearing from you and uh, seeing if you'd like to uh, follow the story of Western civilization, what's happened, and what are we going to do about it? Is there a way to limit this abandonment of confidence in the values of the West. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lapp, and I wish you a terrific week, a week of good health and prosperity. God bless. You're listening to Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Find more at theblaze.com slash radio.